Now listening to the Nick's State of Mind podcast, presented by Elite Sports Radio. And now, your hosts, Chip Murphy and Matt Castillo. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Nick's State of Mind podcast. I'm Matt Castillo with Chip Murphy. And we have one of our Elite Sports NY writers on with us, Robbie Stratakis. And... Like we mentioned before, one thing that we have done or, or said is that we've used Slack to communicate with each other as writers at Elite Sports NY. And one of the uh, interesting takes that we, we talked about is should Frank Nielakina start right away? Um, it's known how I feel and, and, and Chip has shared how he, he has felt. But Robbie, you feel that – and first of all, thank you for coming on the show before we start. Um, appreciate your time. But um, you feel that Neil Aquino should start right away. Can you kind of debate your case right here for us, why you think Neil Aquino should be starting from day one? Yeah, well, uh, first off, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, should Frank start? In my opinion, yes, he should start. Obviously, there's there's a good case for him to start. There's a good case for him not to start. You know, you get you got Ramon Sessions in place. Ramon Sessions in place now, and it appears that maybe at the moment he might be starting because the Knicks don't seem so keen on starting Frank from the get-go. But in my opinion, this is a team that you know took a chance on Frank at eight, and in order to see if this guy can be a starting NBA point guard, you're not doing him any favors by starting him from the get-go. Even if he has a terrible season. He's got he's got he's got to get his hands he's got to get his hands dirty. You got, you got to see what he can do. This is a guy. He's a selfless player. Not much of a shooter, but he's a great defender. Plays with a selfless mentality. He's good at finding his teammates. And I think you're not doing him any favors by not by uh, having him come off the bench. I think that in reality he probably won't start because I think Hornacek may go with Sessions and then see how that goes and see how Frank develops off the bench and then have him start midseason. But in my opinion, I think he should start from the get-go because you have to see what this kid can do right now because you're, you're not going to see what he can do off the bench because he, he, you're really just not going to see what type of player this really is if he's just coming off the bench for you. Well, I, for me personally, I, the reason why I say Frank should not start right away is because you, you say, like, if he's coming off the bench, you're not going to be able to see what he can do. He, he's going to get playing time. So that's why I necessarily don't feel like you have to start him. Uh, and, and I think another thing is, you know, in France, he was off the bench. And this is something I've said on the show several times before, that he comes from France that's not even the second best league in the world. It might be the third. I don't. I don't know. But I, basically, Spain is right behind the NBA. He's in France, so I don't see how you can go from playing in France to the NBA and starting when you didn't start in France. Do you see the point that I'm making there? Does that make sense? Yeah, to you? I think it's fair. It's just I, I think that I, I completely get that view. I, I just think that given 
you know, where they took this kid and that they did see something in him that, you know, made them select him over, say, Dennis Smith or Malik Monk, you know, who everybody's seen, you know, whether it was in the tournament or just throughout the year in college basketball because they were in America. But, you know, I think that given where you took this kid, you probably would have started Monk. If you had drafted Monk or Smith, they're probably starting. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're if, given that you drafted Frank, thinking that maybe they're better than them or they have more upside, then I think you have to. That I think he. Has, I think that he has to start. And look, I mean, obviously, I, I'm not saying that he's going to have the same impact or the same type of rookie year that he had. But look, when Porzingis was when Porzingis was drafted in 2015, it wasn't exactly set in stone that he would start. I mean, there was talk that maybe Derek Williams could start and Porzingis could come off the bench. And maybe in a year or two he starts, mm-hmm. and and they ended up starting him from the get go, and it ended up being a phenomenal decision because he got to see, he started the Knicks got to see what type of player he was, and you know maybe if he doesn't start that first year maybe he's not the player he is today. I don't think Frank's going to be like a perennial All Star type of player, but look, I, I think this is a guy that can be quietly a very good selection, and I, I think given where he was drafted and what they saw in him to take him over say Dennis Smith or Malik Monk who probably would have started if you selected them, I think he should start. And Chip, join in here. What, what do you think? Do you think, you know, I, I know you've shared before, but hearing Robbie's, um, you know, argument, do you change your mind at all? Do you think Frank should be starting? Okay. First of all, Frank played against good players last year. Let's not discount the competition in France. The, the league that he played in in France, that's the league that Rudy Gobert came out of. That's mm-hmm. the league that Evan Fournier from the Orlando Magic came out of. So there's good players in that league. So Frank is used to playing against good players. Now, you're right, Matt. It's not as good as the league that KP played in or Billy Hernan Gomez. But he was playing against good players last year. Now, I don't think necessarily that he should be starting right away. I can't. However, say that for sure until I actually see him play a basketball game yeah, with my point. own eyes. I don't want to make that decision. But throwing him to the wolves on Thursday, October 18th on primetime television against Russell Westbrook, no matter how much, no matter how good a defender we're told he is and how great he looks defensively on YouTube, uh, I don't really see how that does him any favors. If, you know, he's, uh, he did an interview with the New York Post recently where he admitted himself that he needs to get stronger. He's listed at 6'5, 190. If he needs to get stronger, if he's not ready, I don't think starting him right away does him any favors. And I disagree that we can't see what he's capable of if we don't start him. Uh, we saw what, Ron Baker was capable of last year, and he didn't start the whole year. And now he's coming back, and they gave him that contract. So I don't, he cannot start and still play 20 to 25 minutes a game. So, yeah, yeah I, I just don't think how if, – if he's not ready, like I said, I'd like to see him play first. But if he's not ready, I don't think they're doing many favors by starting him. Yeah, and I think also another reason why I'm against starting him right away is because in my opinion and because myself, I was a former point guard, I believe that it's the hardest position. Um, it's because basically you're the quarterback on the floor. It takes a For while. Sure, to, yeah. yeah, it takes a while to develop. 
And I think it could do more harm to him uh, if he – and look, like kind of like everybody's hinted around uh, these other names, these guys like Dennis Smith Jr. or, or Monk, um, you know, even Lonzo Ball and, and Fultz, if you start him and, and – and this is Neil Keenan talking about – and if you start him and he struggles – Early on, you're taking that chance of hurting his confidence, which can be catastrophic for a point guard. And as I mentioned, like I said, when you're trying to learn a new offense um, and running the show, it's extremely difficult. So, you know, look, I think right now, early on in the season, to start him would be a mistake. I do think whoever the Knicks are going to, by the end of the year, kind of be in the same situation they were last year and that he's going to get some starts. Um, but the question is, right away, I don't necessarily think that there is a rush to get him uh, starting minutes. I think he's going to play about 15 to 20 minutes, uh, kind of like Willie Hearn Gomez early on. You know, There was games that he played about 15, 20 minutes and then didn't play for a few games. I see it being similar to that. Maybe not so much sitting out consecutive games because I think they're trying to mold them. Um, but Robbie, I wanted to ask you, because this is something that we talked about on the show as well, the expectations for Neil Aquina, um, what kind of player do you think that he can develop into? Um, well, well saying he's starting, you're, you're asking me in, in general, what just, what, what kind of player do you think Neil Aquina can be? What, what can he bring to the Knicks and, and what kind of role do you see him taking on even, you know, from this year and, and beyond? I mean, looking forward, I mean, this is a guy that I think finally gives you a point guard who's devoted to, you know, priding himself on his, on his play on the defensive end, which is something Knicks haven't really had in years past. You know, you, you look back, you have, you know, Raymond Felton, Jose Calderon, Derek Rose, you know, even Brandon Jennings. And, you know, go, go, going forward, I think this is a guy who, like, like I just said, can be a very good defender. I don't think this is a guy who's going to be a 20-point scorer. But I think this is a guy who could eventually contribute maybe 12, 13, 14 points a game. But the key thing he gives you is his defense. He does have a, a near seven foot wingspan, which is intriguing for a guard. Uh, you guys mentioned that he does have to get bigger. He, he does have to get bigger. Um, one thing I'll add is this, though. If the Knicks had, say, Derrick Rose still under contract, or say they went out and got a Drew Holiday or George Hill in free agency, then I would agree that, that Frank shouldn't start. Now, mm-hmm. granted, I, I, I like Ramon Sessions a lot. I think he's a good player. But this is not a guy who's necessarily, you know, a guy who you go, in, get, go into training camp saying, that's my point guard. Because it's not clear as day that he's going to start. We're, I, I'm just assuming that he's going to start. If you know, Sessions is a good point guard, but at this stage of his career, on a winning team or a competitive one, he's probably a backup. So that, that, that's, that's another reason why I would lean towards starting Frank, because you don't have anybody in there who's you know significantly better or at a stage of their career where they're definitely a starter. But, you know, th- down the line, I see Frank becoming a very good defender. I think year one, we will not see, you know, a great player. Even if he starts, I don't see this guy averaging, say, much more than 10 points per game. But, you know, but I see this, is, I see this, this guy as a player who's going to be devoted to playing on the defensive end and, you know, can set up his teammates. And, you know, that's something the Knicks, the, the Knicks haven't really had in a while. They haven't had a defensive point guard who also, you know, can find his teammates and also is not a very self, and also is not a selfish player, which is something that 
is becoming increasingly rare in today's NBA. We see most point guards, you know, go to scoring options or, you know, mostly they're looking just, you know, to pad their stats in regards to points. But I think this is a guy who becomes a very good defender and a selfless player, not a great scorer, but an all-around good player. And you made an excellent point that because the Knicks don't have a big-name point guard, and this is something that I, that I thought about that does make your case a little bit stronger, like what you said that you know you have Sessions and, and Baker. Because those guys are not ideal starting point guards, now you can certainly see why the Knicks would be interested in, in starting Neil Aquina. But for me personally, like I said, I think that it, it can do more harm than good. And Chip, kind of like what you said, you know, we really don't know what he's capable of. We haven't even seen him play. That's the, the hard part. You know, if he would have played in the yeah. summer league even, it still would have been hard to predict what kind of role that he can play because it's just summer league. But we would have had a more idea of what he needs to work on. Um, you know, we hear some of the things that he needs to work on. As both of you guys have mentioned, that he needs to get stronger, uh, especially because he, he struggles finishing around the rim. And due to that is because of his lack of size. Uh, when he's going up there and attacking the big guys, you know, bouncing off of them and, and getting a shot up isn't quite easy for him. Um, so it would be nice to see him play, and that's something we're going to have to wait into the preseason. But that's all the time that we have for this segment. Robbie, we want to thank you again for coming on. Um, Robbie does such a great job with the site. If you haven't followed him and his his articles, he does a terrific job. And he's also a host of the Burrow Basketball, right? The podcast? Yeah, the Burrow Basketball Podcast. That's a, a, a new one that's been going on from Elite Sports the last few weeks. So, Robbie, thank you again for taking the time and joining with us today. Hey, thank you for having me. Hello, everybody. Matt Castillo, the co-host of the Knicks State of Mind podcast and contributor to Elite Sports New York. You can follow me at Twitter at MattyDiesel15 to get my latest articles, videos, and podcasts. Make sure to follow Elite Sports New York's Twitter as well at Elite Sports NY and the rest of Elite Sports New York's social media pages to stay up to date to all the New York sport news. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Knicks State of Mind podcast. Now, at this point during the offseason, I think it's that time where you can look back and, and talk about how the New York Knicks have done. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to put a grade on how the, the Knicks have um, performed in the offseason, the moves that they made, uh, you know, signing of players, um, front office changes, things like that. So, Chip, it was actually pretty funny because uh, you're getting ready to release an article tomorrow on exactly this uh, this topic. Yeah, we're recording the show on uh, Monday, and uh, I'm releasing a uh, my off-season grades for the Knicks uh, moves. So, yeah, it is funny that we're doing this right now, but I got it coming tomorrow so everybody can read that. But I have this all prepared, so, yeah, it's perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you let me know, and it's perfect timing for me. So I can just let you know what I'm thinking. Uh but, yeah, I actually, as I was doing it, I was thinking about it. And, you know, obviously I'm a pessimist when it comes to the Knicks, like a lot of fans. But while I was writing it, I was thinking, wow, I actually am more positive about this offseason than I thought I would be. Okay. Despite the fact that the Knicks couldn't get out of their own way, whenever they would make a, a good decision, like firing Phil Jackson 
whenever they take one step forward, they take two steps back. You know, fire Phil Jackson, give Tim Hardaway $71 million. Um, you know, uh, hire a guy like Scott Perry, who's been in the league for a long time, then give Ron Baker that ridiculous contract that apparently has a no-trade clause <laughs> for some reason, a player option and a no-trade clause. Apparently they want to make Ron Baker one of the most value people in the organization for some reason. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> uh, but they did have a great draft. It looks like Damian Dotson's going to be a player. They're very high on Frank. We just talked about him. Uh, they signed a guy. I like Sessions. We just talked about Sessions a little bit earlier, too. I like him. Uh, I don't know how Michael Beasley... We talked about Michael Beasley a little last week. I said I like him. Uh, I wrote a little thing about him, too. I think uh, if Carmelo is still there with Beasley, I think the two of them will definitely clash. But... Uh, if he's not there, then he's a guy who, like I said last week, can put the ball in the basket. So I, I think that's a good signing. Now, like I said, they also shot themselves in the foot with the Tim Hardaway Jr. thing. So mm-hmm. I can't give them a, a great rating, but I'm going to give them a C. Okay. I, I was, I was going to give them like a, like I said, I'm a pessimist. I was going to start out giving them a terrible grade, but uh, I, I like giving them a C. Because, uh, uh, like I said, they overpaid by over $25 million on Tim Hardaway. So that was terrible. But uh, I like Scott Perry. And I like uh, Sessions. I like Damian Dotson. We watched him in Summer League. And, look, we can't say – a lot of people are calling – Frank a bust because Dennis Smith looked so great in summer league. The jury's still out mm-hmm. and we probably won't know anything about him. The truth about Frank is he probably, the truth about this whole offseason is we won't be able to judge it until we can judge Frank and who knows about Frank because uh, like as Riley was alluding to earlier, we're probably not going to get a great read on him this year because he's so young, 19. So he's probably not going to get used to the league until next season. So we can't we can't really judge this offseason until we see what Frank is capable of. But right now, I'm going to give them a C. Yeah, I, I kind of bounced around with what kind of grade that I would give them. Kind of like because the start of the offseason, it, it was looking terrible. I mean, it was just a a mess. I mean, first of all, as you mentioned, the draft, which it did go well. I I like a lot of the picks that the Knicks made, a lot of moves that made sense uh, of all these rookies that they brought in. So that was a positive aspect. Now, right after the draft, they fire Phil Jackson. To me, that should have happened before the draft, even though he he did a good job. So I guess you can't complain too much I still don't think that if Phil Jackson was in charge Neil Aquino would have been drafted and we would have gotten either Dennis Smith Jr. or Monk but again it's hard to you know pass judgment on Neil Aquino because we don't know what he can do and then as as it got later on into the offseason or when you start free agency you know, look, we, we knew no big moves were going to be made. We talked about this on the show before, that if you're hoping the Knicks would target big 
names. They didn't have a chance to sign him. It just was not going to happen. Um, so it, it was a little slow free agency. And the Tim Hardaway Jr. signing, again, overpaid by so much. I mean, they threw away a lot of money to this guy. So now you just got to hope and pray that um, Tim Hardaway Jr. plays like his dad, maybe even better. Um, but, you know, Tim Hardaway Sr. was a five-time All-Star, so I'll take that right now for the money that they're, they're paying. Yeah. Um, so after that, it, it did start to get actually a little bit more better. Um, when you think about it, I know early on I was for bringing back Derrick Rose, but after all that went down, I, I changed my mind and realized that it was the smartest thing not to go after Derrick Rose. Even if he was willing to take less money, I still think the Knicks would have ended up paying him more than what he got from Cleveland. Um, so I think that's a victory right there. You're, you're, you're moving away from a guy who can't play any defense, who's kind of bad for the locker room. Um, you know, the front, offense, uh, the front office moves. I'm not thrilled necessarily about Mills being in charge. I think uh, with, with Griffin – uh, he was the guy that I really wanted the Knicks to get. When that fell through, that was disappointing. Uh, but they're bringing in other guys that you know can help out, like Perry. Um, they've made countless other moves. They brought in uh, Robinson, um, Michelle Obama's uh, brother, uh, the other day. I saw that. And uh, bringing in kind of basketball guys to help uh, fix the Knicks, which you, they need all the help they can get in the front office. And... You know, the signings of Beasley and Sessions, again, not moves that are going to blow you away, but moves that made sense. You're getting a a veteran point guard to help the development of not only Frank Nielakina, but even Ron Baker. Um, You know, people think, because Ron Baker played last year, you know, look, you got to keep in mind, he's still developing too. Um, Probably a much bigger role going to be taken on by him this season, so bringing in a veteran like Sessions that helps there and we as we talked about Beasley last week guy that he he really can play he really can he's just more about if he can stay out of trouble and if he focuses on playing basketball Um, there's there's so much with him that, that just takes him away from his talent and it's disappointing but if he's committed uh, that, that was a sneaky little smart signing. So, Chip, I'm with you. I would give him about a C. I was thinking a C-. minus. Um, the point that you made about the draft, I didn't even consider that until once you said it. So that made a lot of sense for me. So I, I would give them about a C+. Plus. And now that we we shared how we feel how the – off season's going again. This is a, a great topic to hear from you fans to tell us exactly how you feel that this off season has gone, and, and share your grades to us on our Twitter page. Again, that is NYKSOM Podcast. So we would love to hear from you, and we're going to change up uh, to the news of the Knicks schedule being released today. And Chip, you kind of talked about it in the first segment as you mentioned that it would be tough for Frank Nielakina to get a first start against Russell Westbrook because the Knicks are opening up against the Oklahoma City Thunder and Westbrook the MVP and now Paul George um so when you see Oklahoma City as our first game what was your reactions Chip 
Yeah, opening up against Oklahoma City Thunder in Oklahoma City, <laughs> one of the best home court advantages in the NBA. So it would be a tough one for him. Uh, my reaction was, this is going to be a, a huge game for Oklahoma City because it's uh, Russell Westbrook and Paul George's first game, you know, playing together, and it's at home. Uh, they're going to, and we know how Russell Westbrook is, he's going to be gunning for a huge one. It's on TNT, so mm-hmm. he's going to be gunning for a huge night. The Knicks are going to have to come to play, and obviously uh, the Frank versus Russell Westbrook matchup goes through your head. And I thought this is going to be a tough one for him, but a lot of a lot of matchups are going to be tougher. I mean, he's a rookie point guard, and you mentioned earlier, point guard's the toughest position, and a lot of the best players in the league right now are point guards. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a lot of tough matchups this year. You know, the third game, uh, the opener's October 19th. On October 24th, they play the Celtics. So mm-hmm. he's going to be guarding Isaiah on October 24th. I mean, he's going to have a lot of tough matchups. And, you know, if you want to start right away, that's what it's going to be. So it's going to be, it's going to be tough for Frank right out of the gate. That was my first thought, was uh, Frank against Russ. And OKC is going to be jacked up because it's the first night of Paul George and Russ, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a tough one to win. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's, it's going to be, we're going to be heavy underdogs. Oh, yeah. that opening matchup. <laughs> yeah. And, and like you said, just a tough fan base. Their, their crowd, so loud. That that place is going to have yep. extra juice now that their team is kind of back into a significant position. Uh, when I saw that we're opening against OKC, I was thinking, great. Uh, why? I mean, in one way, it's good we're getting them out of the way because, you know, we only play the Western Conference teams twice, so we only have to play them one mm-hmm. more time. But I was thinking, like, can't they give us, like, a nice game like Indiana or you know like <laughs> like one of the uh, Orlando a game that we might actually be able to win keyword is might but you know what I mean like it's the first game of the year I would like to go ahead and get a victory to feel better about my life so when I see OKC uh I'm, I'm putting an L already for that and um you know we're not going to break down the game or anything for a, for a while but uh I think it's safe to say right now that, that I just have a feeling that's going to be a bad one, um, that TNT might reconsider putting off TV. Um, that's just how I feel. And, you know, looking ahead, another part of the schedule that was released before the full schedule was released today, the New York Knicks have made uh, the Christmas schedule once again. So we're playing the Philadelphia 76ers, who are now, you know, with the the young team that they got and the addition of J.J. Redick are finally getting that that national uh, coverage and playing on uh, Christmas against the Knicks. And that game is on at noon. Chip, what did you think about the Knicks getting another Christmas game? Yeah, a lot of hype for the Sixers this year. A lot of hype. The Knicks and Sixers, I wrote when uh, this was released, I wrote uh, Knicks and the Sixers just in so just in two different, completely different places right now. But uh, when I saw this, I thought, uh, I was first of all, I was a little shocked that the Sixers were on Christmas, but I knew there was hype around them, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't know if the Knicks would be on Christmas again. After, yeah. You know, because the assumption is that Mello won't be on the team. So I didn't know if the Knicks would want them on Christmas. 
But yeah, uh, I I think it'll be whether or not Mel is on the team. I think it could be a cool matchup because you know Porzingis against Embiid. That's always fun to watch, right? Yep. Uh, unicorn against unicorn, but uh, so that's the one everyone wants to see Porzingis against Embiid. The only question is, will Embiid actually be healthy? Yep. And you know, Needle Akina against Bolts. Uh, that's what everybody wants to see, the young guy against the young guy. So uh, it would be cool to see that, but, you know, those Sixers guys are never healthy. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, by then, all those Sixers guys could be out of the lineup. But I'd like to see them beat against Porzingis. That would be really cool, I think, on Christmas Day. And it's the afternoon game, too. It's the 12 yeah. o'clock game. It's the first game of so, the night. And- yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Porzingis and Bede, I think is a lot of people are going to be looking forward to that one. Yeah, and like you said, hopefully Embiid's healthy. Hopefully Porzingis is healthy because uh, you know he's injury yeah. prone himself too. Not as bad as Embiid. Embiid, you know, steps on the floor and there's there's some kind of injury. That's just the way it has gone for him so far. But when he's on the floor, man, he's he's unbelievable. I mean, the missed two years basically with that foot injury and then playing some of last year. My goodness, he just, there was no rust. He was just an animal. Um, so that is a very intriguing matchup. Now, like you said, I was very shocked that the Knicks even got another primetime Christmas game um, with the way we're looking. And, I mean, in a way, yeah, I'm happy because I can watch my Knicks. But I'm also tired of my Christmas being ruined by the Knicks losing. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm all hyped up. I don't care. I'm you know, like 23 years old, and I'm, I get excited for my Christmas present still, you know, and <laughs> even put my, my, my letter for Santa, no, I don't, but, but anyway, um, <laughs> you know, the point is I get hyped up, and then I gotta go watch the Knicks lose, and the rest of the day is ruined for me, and then I'm, then I'm pouting, and then my whole family's, you know, fussing at me to smile or something, but, you know, I can't help it, the Knicks ruin it, and, also, let's be real, on Christmas Day, what what is Christmas Day basketball about? Well, it's going to be about Golden State and Cleveland. So really all these games yep. that are on there are just being, you know, they're just. The undercard. Yeah, basically. Everybody's going to be amped up to see another championship rematch of Golden State and Cleveland. If I'm not mistaken, it's got to be the first time that they meet this season. Um, I haven't checked on that, but usually that's the way it is, uh, that they put the two uh, teams that met in the finals and the home team I'm goes sure to the team that won. that way, yeah. Yeah, so um, that's going to be an exciting matchup. But, you know, look, if, if the Knicks win on Christmas, well, then December 25th is going to be all great and, and glamorous for me. That's You know, actually this year for Christmas, that's what I'm going to ask for, a Nick win, just to put a smile on my face and not become the party pooper because uh, <laughs> I'm serious. When the Knicks lose, man, it, it affects my mood so much. It hurts. I don't even know why it hurts because we lose all the time, but I, I can't take the losing. So I'm hoping this year a Christmas miracle will happen and we will get a W. That'd be nice. So we're going to wrap up this segment. And when we come back, we're going to pick our second player, the shooting guard position of the Nick Ultimate team. So we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everybody. This is Chip Murphy, co-host of the Knicks State of Mind podcast and boss of all New York Knicks content at EliteSportsNY.com. To follow my work, you can find me on Twitter 
at at Chipper Murphy. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Nick's State of Mind podcast. Now last week we introduced this fun segment that we're doing, uh, the Nick Ultimate Team, where we're picking each position one week at a time of any former Nick to try to build the best team possible. Um, we thank the fans that participated with us. Uh, we got a lot of feedback on both our picks last week in the point guard position. Chip and I both picked uh, Walt Clyde Frazier, and basically everybody that that responded to us said, you guys better have took and Walt Clyde Frazier. And I, as Chip said, this is the only man that you could take for that position. So that's where we're at right there with the point guard, Walt Clyde Frazier. And now this week we are going to pick our shooting guard. So, Chip, who did you pick as your shooting guard? I took Earl the Pearl Monroe, legendary Nick, Hall of Famer. Uh, the man we mentioned last week, Clyde Frazier's backcourt mate on the team that won the NBA championship in 1973, one of the two uh, titles in franchise history. You know, he uh, helped Clyde take down the mighty Lakers. Um, uh, Jerry West was on that team, uh, Will Chamberlain. Um, yeah, he he was, I believe, a two-time All-Star with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two times. An All-Star, Hall of Famer. Uh, he was, I mean, not with the Knicks, but Rookie of the Year. Uh, uh yeah, all rookie. Oh, only one time all NBA. I was kind of surprised by that. But yeah, when he was with the Knicks, he scored more. He played nine seasons with the Knicks. I was looking through his numbers. He played nine seasons with the Knicks, five seasons in Baltimore. And he scored more when he was in Baltimore. Numbers in New York declined towards the end because of injury. But yeah, he. There's, you can make a chase for other guys. It's not like with Clyde, like you were just saying earlier, where there's only one option. But in my mind, and I discussed, and I, uh, when I was weighing the options, I discussed other options. But in my mind, uh, Pearl having a title puts him above mm-hmm. the other options. It does. So, yeah, I mean, I, I already know who you went with, but why don't you let everybody else know? Well, first, before I do, one thing, I, and uh, we do have a difference here, um, but yes, we do. just to comment on what you said, Earl the Pearl Monroe, and you got to love him. Um, he had a quote where he talked about that he he's so impressed by his game even today when he watches films uh, of himself playing, and he, he's quoted saying that, man, I don't see anybody doing what I was able to do on the floor. You know, nobody, I was unique. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. That's a very confident man right there. Who, That's awesome. One of the Knicks greats. And, and um, yeah, I didn't go with Earl the Pearl Monroe. Uh, and, and it's hard to argue a case for somebody else because Monroe won a championship, like you said. It's very, very tough to pick somebody else. But I went with Allen Houston. Uh, Allen Houston was one of my favorite players. Uh, back in the day, I had an Allen Houston jersey, um, and he was a terrific player. I mean, look, you know, when you talk about the terms of, of shooting the basketball, and so not so much of this this team 
the ultimate team that we're doing is necessarily, um, you know, stack up the best players. You want to try to fit the best kind of team. That's that's what I'm doing with my roster, and I'm kind of looking at the modern day of the game. Three point shooting is so valuable in the league, and Allen Houston is a terrific three point shooter. He during his time definitely got overlooked by like players like Ray Allen and Reggie Miller and rightfully so because those guys are just terrific three-point shooters but Allen Houston uh, I mean he was a sharpshooter you know he's a guy that averaged I think about 17 points a game uh yeah 17 point three points per game uh Olympic gold medalist in 2000 he I believe is second in Nick history for most made three-pointers. I believe John Starks is number one on that list. And I believe he's also fourth in scoring all-time for the Knicks. Um, So this is a guy that played 11 seasons, and he was phenomenal. Uh, He's a two-time all-star. At the end of his career, he had those knee injuries, and it definitely obviously derailed him. I mean, basically – 2004, 2005, he was he was kind of useless. Um, those, those knee injuries were just too much to overcome. And, and again, this is a very difficult case when you're you're going up against somebody who won a championship like Earl the Pearl Monroe. But when I look at it, I look at my two picks. You know, you have Clyde Frazier that can do it all, but then I have that sharp shooter on the wing like Allen Houston. So. I feel pretty confident maybe some fans would, would agree with me. I, I, I tossed turn between Allen Houston and, um, you know, we, we mentioned before we started talking about this, John Starks even, uh, fan favorite. Everybody loves John Starks. But kind of like what we said, I, I think you could put Allen Houston and you definitely would put Earl the Pearl Monroe before him. So um, that's who I went with. Um Again, one of my favorite players. Loved watching Allen Houston. And, you know, now it's kind of up to the fans. We got a few of our picks. And let's see who they, they like, Chip. I think I agree with you that some of the fans, maybe the younger fans, are going to agree with you. Because like you said, and like I like I told you before we started out here, I Alan Houston was my favorite player when I was a kid. That's why this one was so hard for mm-hmm. me. And like you, I had an Alan Houston jersey mm-hmm. too, but Alan Houston never won a championship. Yep. So I had to go with Pearl. But yeah, I think a lot of people are going to agree with you, and I think it's probably going to be a little surprising, especially, look, Pearl played in the 70s. So a lot of people are jaded towards that and are like, oh, well, you know, when Alan Houston played, the league was much more competitive. And it was. The players are better. But, you know, for me, and I looked at that, but for me, Pearl won a championship. Yep. And Alan, and I understand your argument because Alan Houston was a, and is very underrated. Very underrated. And it's unfortunate that when people mention the name Alan Houston, the first thing they think about is, bad contract and injuries because he was a really good player. And like you said, 17 points per game for his career, uh, career 40% from three-point range. I mean, a really good player. 
So not great, but he had a really good career. And yeah, just a, a really good Nick. Yeah, just a good player. And I believe still employed with the team and the new regime. Mm-hmm. So obviously well liked. That's that, I was getting to that. I was just about to say, you know, very good player. Still trying to figure out what he does with the organization. Don't, don't yeah, still don't I, I, I still have no idea. Yeah. But <laughs> in the terms of <laughs> yeah. a player, yeah. I would want Alan yeah, Houston on my team. I love. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. But, uh, and hopefully that's another thing. Hopefully people don't, don't hold that against Alan Houston here that they know that he's associated with the front office that's a, a train wreck and uh, hold that against him here. I think that could hurt possibly, but you got to keep in mind as a player. This guy was he was special. He was really uh, a really good Nick. So um, again, it's just we'll we'll have this out on our, our Twitter page and, and want to hear from you guys of what you guys think of our our first two picks. And we're gonna wrap up this segment and we'll be back with this next week as we pick our small forward. But that's all the time we have for today's episode, and we'll be back next week for another episode of the Nick State of Mind podcast. <laughs>